Friday Lunchtime Lectures at the Open Data Institute. Welcome everyone to the ODI lunch, Friday Lunchtime Lecture. Um, today we have Dr. Bill Roberts who will be talking about making the most of government statistical data, finding, analysing and using it. Bill is CEO of Swirl, the data publishers, and is an enthusiast for using the web to share public sector data more effectively. As well as working with Swirl on various government open data projects, he is an active member of W3C OGC Spatial Data on the Web Interest Group, where he's currently leading work on statistics on the web best practices. Over to Bill. Thanks, Alex. Hello, everyone. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Bill Roberts. I'm going to be talking about making the most of government statistical data. I'm going to be talking about work that we've been doing together with the Office for National Statistics. And um, Darren Barnes from the ONS was originally due to be here, but I had to, to call off at the last minute. And uh, we were going to do a bit of a double act. For anyone who knows Darren, um, I was going to do the first half of the talk with a, a dodgy Welsh accent, but I figured they probably wouldn't let me, let me go back to Newport ever, so I decided not to do that. But um, it's work that, that Darren has been leading at the ONS side, but it's very much on behalf of the of the Government Statistical Service, which is uh, an association of all of the government organisations that are responsible for publishing official statistics. So what we've been thinking about is, is the question of um, there are a large number of organisations in government responsible for producing statistical data. Roughly speaking, there's something like uh, 2,000 statistical publications each year, each of which tends to be backed up by quite a large body of data that has a lot of work put into collecting and, and analysing and presenting it. But the general feeling is that we're not making the best use of that data at the moment. It's a very valuable resource, but it's often um, hard to find. Once you find it, it can be difficult to understand. And once you have got worked out what it is that you want to use, you have to put a lot of work into using it. And so the aim of the, of the work is to try to investigate ways that all of the organisations across the, the, the GSS, the Government Statistical Service, could um, work in a more coordinated way that would make their, their data more, more easy to use, more valuable for the purposes it's aimed at. And so these are the kind of organisations that are currently typically involved in, in producing official statistics. About half of the UK's official stats come directly from ONS and the other half come from across all of these kind of organisations. So trying to, to get all these people to work closely together is, is quite an organisational challenge. And so everyone talks about big data, and there are three um, typical dimensions of, of big data. Um, volume, how much of it you've got. Velocity, how quickly it changes. And variety, how diverse your data is. And while there's quite a lot of, of data in government statistical data, I think primarily it's a, a challenge of variety, because government is responsible for a very large number of, of different things and the data covers a very wide range of, of topics, which have interrelations with each other, but nonetheless, there's a, there's, there's a, it's a really heterogeneous area, and that's the, the biggest challenge to making the data interoperable. The, the volume and velocity stuff is, is, is manageable, and especially with statistics, because of the way that it's collected and processed, then it doesn't actually get updated all that often, but again, that's changing as new technology gives different ways to collect data. And so, for example, the, the data science campus at ONS is investigating 
how to use different ways of collecting data and still to use that at the level of, of confidence that the traditional statistical methods have provided. The, um, the strategy, the vision, the, the slogan, if you like, of, of ONS is better statistics, better decisions, because they realize that the point of, of collecting and processing all of this data is to inform, primarily inform government, but the country as a whole on important areas of, of public policy and, um, and society in general. So the purpose of doing all of this is to get it into the hands of people who are trying to, to do something useful with it. So, of course, what people often do is they put it into various kinds of dashboards and, and graphics and analysis and so on. But this is used in a very wide variety of contexts. The Open Data Institute recently published this very nice little breakdown of the different ways that open data can be used in, in a public sector context. So making public services more accessible, uh, making service delivery more efficient, and informing, informing policy development. And the official stats probably fall mostly into the third category here. They, I think they can be used across all of this, but the, if you like, the, the objective of, of a lot of statistical data is to inform this kind of stuff. In this particular project, we uh, picked one area to work on as, a, as an example, um, and that was statistics about international trade. So we wanted to pick a focus so that we had a, a bunch of real examples and, and, and people to work with to, to investigate the, the challenges and possible solutions. And uh, a stakeholder group was put together with statisticians and analysts across um, a number of organizations, so ONS itself, um, HMRC, uh, the Department for International Trade, the Welsh, Northern Irish, and Scottish governments, and a few others. But with all of those um, people who are working deeply with statistical data. And we've had a whole series of meetings with them over the project, which has been very useful to get an understanding of, of the domain and of the challenges that they're facing. And one of the things that we went through was um, an approach that some of you might have come across, the value proposition canvas. And I know you can't read this, but it will all be published with the report. We went through an exercise where we asked them, what are, what are the jobs that they have to do? What are the, um, the things that make it hard? And what are the opportunities that they could get by doing it better? And I think anyone who's worked in this area wouldn't be too surprised by the results, which is quite reassuring in a lot of ways, that the jobs to be done were typically finding data on different things, combining it together, analyzing it, and trying to decide complex questions. And the things that they found difficult were typically that they can't find data. And when you do find data, it's quite hard in, probably in all areas, but certainly in this area of trade, to, um, to know exactly what you've got. And there are a number of because it's quite difficult to collect data on trade, there are a number of different ways of doing it in different circumstances. And so apparently one common um, issue is that some trade figures are uh, specified in terms of exchange of, of change of ownership. So when somebody sells one thing to another thing, that can count as an export or an import. But then a different way of, of gathering that information is around physical movement of goods through ports. And those two different ways of collecting it come up with very different numbers. So depending on where your exports and imports num uh, numbers come from, you can come up with quite different answers. And so making sure that people that are trying to use this, this data understand where it's come from, understand what's included and excluded, uh, it can be quite a big challenge.
so with certainly with with trade data, um, but also with pretty much every important area of public policy, the information that you need to design public policies or assess if they're working comes from a lot of different data sources. So here, I suppose, you know, the, the, the obvious current um, interest in, in trade data is trying to decide what um, policies for, um, for after Brexit are going to, what, to assess what different policy options might have on, on the UK economy. Um, that's a very difficult thing to decide. And it needs data from lots of different places. But if you're thinking of um, you know, climate change or, or working in with uh, a finite environmental resources or, or how to deal with an aging population, all of these big problems that are facing society are, are very difficult to understand and you need to gather stuff from a lot of places. But in general, probably for historical reasons, we're not that good at exchanging information with other people. And that's typically because each organisation has its own responsibilities, it's got its own history, it's tasked to do one particular thing and it tends to optimise its processes for that task. But that doesn't help you with, with working with other organisations. So in the trade area, we found that um, HMRC has a list of codes for all of the countries that we trade with. ONS has a different list of all of the countries that we trade with, and both of those are different to the GDS register of countries of, that, that have been uh, put together with the Foreign Office. So, you know, they're not big differences, but the codes are different, and sometimes the, um, the, the membership of those lists is slightly different. So that's just one example, but in general, the people have not tended to think in terms of how you combine data from different places. And of course, often it feels that this is our approach to organising data. The, there are ways to, to search for data, but if the things are coming from lots of different places, it's often a struggle just to find the things that you want. So one of the concepts that we have been working with as a, a, um, a way of trying to explain what we're doing with has been um, what we call data set families. We're here, obviously, we've um, represented data sets by citrus fruit with hats on. But uh, the idea of a data set family is a fairly simple one, just that there are groups of data sets which are naturally related in, in some ways. And if you're trying to tackle a particular problem, you probably want to use a bunch of different related um, data sets in order to, to answer that problem. And finding those data sets and understanding what the relationships between them are is often the challenge to... Um, to doing your work in the way that you need to do it. <clears throat> so, you know, a very simple way to think of what's a data set family is just you know, things that are under a topic heading or can be found from a keyword. And so this is um, uh, data.gov.uk. You can search for, for keywords. You can filter things by topics and you get a whole bunch of data sets. But typically what this is doing is looking for keywords in titles and, and descriptions, or maybe in simple bits of metadata that, that people have added. But when it comes to getting data, you want to do some complex analysis on it. Often you want to have a, a more detailed understanding of how things are related. And one of the things that helps us in the statistical area is that pretty much all statistical data sets can be viewed according to a, a common kind of data model we call a, a data cube. It's easy to draw it in three dimensions, but of course it can have as many dimensions as you want. If you think of, say, uh, a population data set, 
then that might be broken down by, um, by area, by time period, by age range, by male versus female, by um, ethnic origin. Um, so you can think of lots of different dimensions that you break down your data. And often we use that data in, in slices. So it's presented in tables, which is a different kind of subset of the overall thing where you might want to look at you know, the um, population in, in an area over time divided up by age range or something like that. But there are lots of different ways that you can slice it. But the, the fact that this data follows that common data model means that we can make use of what we know about the structure of it to understand in a bit more detail the, um, the relationships between data sets and so get a bit more of a, a quantitative understanding of, of how data sets are related. And that's typically in, in the terms of um, <clears throat> do they share the same dimensions? Do, those, do the possible values of those dimensions, are they comparable between different things? You know, do they come from the same classification scheme? And so this is a, an illustration of some of the data sets that we were looking at with this trade example, where the, the dark green uh, boxes are other data sets, so like balance of payments, individual country data from ONS, or the um, HMRC's trade in goods stat. Uh, the, the white boxes with the green writing are the, the dimensions of, of data that appear in those data sets. And the, the white boxes with the blue writing are the, the classification schemes that are used for those data sets. So trying to see you know, which data sets use the same dimensions, which ones break it down in the same ways, gives you an idea of, okay, these data sets are, are directly comparable or, or these other ones are, are not directly comparable. But also it gives us things that we might be able to do to strengthen the relationships in our data set family. Um, for example, by encouraging or enabling the producers of them to use the same terms as the other organization when they're producing it, or to, um, to add some extra understanding after the fact by making cross-references between one scheme and a, another scheme. So one of the things is that we want to distribute this data on the web. The, the traditional way of over the last, say, 20 years or so of, of distributing stats has been to do it on the web, but typically as a PDF report, maybe with some Excel spreadsheets to, to download for the, the details of the data. And that's quite a good way for the statisticians to um, provide detailed analysis and commentary on the data. But it's not a good way if you want to pump that data into some other kind of automated analysis system or into your own tools. It often needs a lot of work to get the things into the right shape and to, to understand the details. So one of the things that we've been trying to bring in is the recommendations from this uh, W3C working group on, on how to do data on the web. And that, a lot of that is in terms of identifiers and metadata and, and quality representations and so on. And also we've been making use of this um, other W3C standard on a model for tabular data and metadata on the web. So it's a catchy title. The ODI's very own Jenny Tennyson was one of the editors of, of this work. But often statisticians love a table. A lot of the data we're working with is represented as tables and we want to make use of the web to distribute it. So it was natural to try to use this approach um, as a way to, um, to work with the data and to, to move it around. The <clears throat> Here's a table. The, um, so this is one where it's organized one observation per row, which is, is quite a sort of common way of, of 
doing this data. But if you get this just by itself, then there's a lot of questions that you'd have on what things mean. And the, that W3C standard has come up with a, a way of associating detailed metadata with your table to explain what all of your columns mean and to be able to add other metadata to it. And they've defined a, a JSON format that you can use to write all of this down and mechanisms that you can use to associate your, your metadata with your data. So this is it's an existing standard. It is a way of um, making tabular data, if you like, more understandable at a more detailed level. But And as part of the work, we've uh, developed a new implementation of uh, a new open source implementation of this standard um, that we'll be submitting to W3C um, to, be, to be on the list because we tried a couple of the existing ones, but they weren't quite suitable for what we were doing or um, they didn't work too well with the, some of the big data sets that we were working with and we wanted to be able to plug this into some of the other tool sets that we were doing. And, and that's great, and we find it's, it, it really is a good fit to, to what we're doing, but it's not been the whole story. And one of the, <clears throat> I suppose, one of the reasons that it's not the whole story is that to produce your well-defined data, someone needs to produce this stuff. And that's the kind of thing that a lot of the, these data-producing organizations don't have access to the kind of data geeks that are well-suited to producing that kind of information. Although the, the people who are, are working there do have a very thorough understanding of the data. So what we've been doing is trying to work through a, a kind of pipeline of, of data production, starting with the things that they've already got, which is typically data in, in relational databases or in, in files of one sort or another, and getting it to an endpoint where we're, we're storing this data as, as RDF. We're using the, a linked data approach. Um, partly because there's a, a well-established and fairly widely used W3 standard called the RDF Data Cube Vocabulary, which is designed for this kind of statistical data. It works well on the web. It's good for automation. So it's, it fits the, the kind of things that we need to do. But it, you don't need to end up here. You can take, once you get to this stage, you've got very well-structured, well-defined data, and you can use it in different formats if you want. You can convert it to whatever else you like, or you can read it into your, your software. But to get to here, you need to, to add some quite precise definitions. And what we wanted to do was to make it as simple as possible to, to get to that point. So we developed another tool that we called Table2Cube, um, which is, in effect, a, a preprocessor for the, the CSV um, to RDF um, stuff. And that takes as inputs um, data in so-called uh, tidy data format. This is something that's quite widely used in um, the R community, and partly because it's, it's very simple. It's, it, it takes your statistical data and it has one row for every uh, observation, and it has one column for each variable in your data. So it's quite easy to produce from all kinds of tools. It's easy to understand. So we have one file with all of the observation data, and then you can have additional supporting files if you need them that define your dimensions and, and classification schemes. And if you're reusing those classifications between lots of different data sets, you only need to do it once, um, and then you can use it again. So typically, the work of, of, of getting your data into the right shape to start with here is relative, relatively easy. And so we found that this has been quite an effective way within our own team to, to process all of the data. 
But the challenge that we have there is that if you are taking data that other people have kind of thrown over the wall that was created for other purposes, if you're trying to add that detailed structure after the fact, it's, it's, quite, um, it's quite difficult, it's quite time consuming. So you need to spend time immersing yourself in the field to make sure that you understand what it is. You often need to uh, work together with the domain experts to be able to ask them, you know, what does this mean, what does that mean, why is that different to that? You often find yourself cleaning stuff up that no one had really noticed was messy because they hadn't tried to um, process it in, in software before. So it's not, it works, but it's not scalable to try to do that in a centralized way. And one of the main objectives of this project is to think of how we can work across this collection, this grouping of, of government data producers to, if you like, move the, move the work of producing high quality data upstream. So we really want this, you want those kind of aspects of the data representation that make it more reusable to be added early in the process and to stay attached to the data all the way through. And sometimes that information is there in the, I mean, that usually is there in the, in the early days of, 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 the, of processing the survey data or the administrative data that is the, the source of this stuff. But then it goes through a process of um, making it ready for dissemination that sometimes takes away some of that information that was there. So one of the things we want to do is to find ways to move this upstream. And that's the point of the, the tooling that I was talking about in the, in the previous slide, is that we're making tools that normal analysts should be able to use. And, and so spread the work of, of producing data in this kind of structure without making it too difficult or, or painful for people. So, although we're dealing in some ways with uh, a technical problem, we realise that the solution to it is, is probably more a, a social or a, a cultural or a, an organisational one. Sure, you need tools, but it's more about getting people to, to work in a different way and to uh, probably to be motivated in different ways, that instead of thinking of just the, the task of, that's immediately at hand for your group or, or organisation, think what's the value of this data in a broader sense and recognize that a lot of the value of that data is unlocked when you can combine it with other stuff. So uh, another bit of work that the ODI has done in the last year or so is, is this idea of mapping a, a data ecosystem. And we found that that was quite a, a nice idea for the kind of things we were doing. So we had a, a first attempt at trying to understand how that works for our, our trade example. And we're going to go back to it and try to, to do that more broadly, thinking about a broader range of organizations, how the, um, the sort of standardization and harmonization process might work, because a lot of this comes down to, to standards, effectively, getting different people to agree on how they're going to represent information so that this person understands that person. But making standards can be a, a complicated and, and long and, and painful business. So working out, the if you like, the right amount of just enough standard is the, is the aim that you really want here. And trying to think about how that fits into the ecosystem, what the roles are for, uh, if you like, governance of standards, of, of creating new ones, but also of making people aware of what exists, um, finding the things that they need and being able to, to know if they've done it right. All of these kind of things, I think, are one of the most important things to, to making this happen. 
And just to finish off, we know that there's a long way to go. We haven't solved all the problems. Um, this project's in a, an alpha phase. We're um, working on producing some, some tools that we can put in front of people. Um, we've done a bit of user research and feedback already, but we know that we need to do a bit more actual work and, and try some of these things out with, with the, the different representatives of different parts of this ecosystem. And once we get to that, then there's a, people need to decide in the um, ONS and the, and the GSS if they think this is something that is, is a good way to go and then work out how we spread this kind of uh, knowledge and capability more widely. But um, for us, we've been working in this kind of area for, for a long time and it feels like this is... It feels like this is our best attempt yet. Uh, it's, it's got a lot of good properties. We've found that things are quite easy to use. We find that people get it, if you like, without having to be deeply into the, to the technology. And so we think it's got a lot of scope for um, achieving the goal that we had of, of trying to make government statistics more useful and, and more used. So I'll stop there. Thanks very much. And uh, if people have got questions, then we can take those after. So thank you. over to questions now. I did have one to start off with and I know you touched on it um, during your presentation around the kind of cultural and organisational effects of opening and sharing data. So just wondering if you could expand on that, um, what you've witnessed around the breaking of those silos, the increased collaboration um, on, on sharing and, and opening of data. Yeah, and <clears throat> so working with the statisticians from, from around the GSS, I think we've found that their, um, I suppose, kind of both their concerns and 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 um, reservations, and also the things that they see as possibilities, are pretty similar to what we've seen across a lot of other organisations. So, the same things come up again and again. People are are worried that others won't understand the data properly, and so might misuse it. They're worried that, um, I suppose, kind of people might see their working, if you like. Um, so there's that kind of, if there's a mistake, is it going to be bad? They're worried about the cost of doing stuff because they know, you know, nobody has staff to spare. Um, so are they going to have to do things that they didn't do before? But on the other hand, they see how people are, are using the data. They, of course, understand the, the way that technology is changing the things that are possible. So I think that you know, people are really enthusiastic to, to try to find new solutions to it um, because a lot of the time the people that are responsible for producing and, and sharing the data are also involved in analysing it. So to some extent they're solving their own problem because they know if they have to produce a, a policy paper or a briefing, all the things that they have to do to, to do that are hard work. And if there are things that, that they can do to make that easier, then they, you know, they understand the, the benefits of it. So we found them to be a very positive bunch to, to work with. Thanks, yes. Ben Coleman, National Audit Office. Um, yeah, thanks for the presentation, very interesting. I was just wondering if you could say a bit more about timescales and next steps and when and if something might become available for you know, us and, and others to, to kind of play with and interface with. Yeah, so the, our current phase of the project, we're just kind of going through some um, budget stuff, but I think it's going to run through till around about October or November. And then at that point, there'll be a review and decide what, what's happening next. The, 
uh, CSV to RDF tool is already um, openly available and recently well documented and, and tested. Um, the, the table to cube stuff that I was talking about, if you like, the, the, the pre-processor bit is, is also going to be released as open source fairly soon. We're just, um, it works and we've been using it, but it needs a bit of tidying up and extra documentation before we think it's kind of safe for use in the wild, if you like. And there are some other tools that I didn't talk about in any detail that we're using to try to um, illustrate to people what becomes possible if you have your data in, in better shape. So things like um, some experimental uh, advanced search tools, doing a kind of fasted search on, um, on statistical dimensions and, and their values. Um, so that's yeah, pretty much working. That probably is harder for other people to pick up the actual software and, and use it elsewhere, but certainly they uh, can experiment with the ideas of it and so on. And yeah, kind of ways to, the other thing that we're working on is ways to present this data cube data and to make it easy to filter and extract subsets of it as, as you want. So that again is going through the user research. So that's probably something that's more towards the um, sort of end of the calendar year. Hi, my name is Jennifer Panting. I'm from the Royal Society. Um, I'm interested in the, in the data set family approach with the cubes. Could you just tell us a little bit more information about that? Yeah, so at one level, the data set families thing is, is very simple. It's just, you know, are these data sets about the same thing? Does it make sense to use them together? At the more sort of technical level, we're trying to think of um, what does it actually mean for two data sets to be related? And to some extent, that means that they... Um, that they can be broken down in similar ways and that they share some sort of identifiers, if you like. So if you've got um, population data about um, London and you've got uh, economic data about London, how do you know they're both about London? And the way that you know if you're processing it in software is that you have the same name or the same identifier. And also you need to have the same kind of, um, if you like, name for your dimension, that you both of them need to say, this is about a place, which is London. So to some extent, that kind of thing of having these two data sets that both refer to the same, say, geographical area, or it could be uh, the same foreign country that we trade with, or the same um, classification of goods or services. Having that is a, a, you know, a concrete relationship between the two data sets and would let us do some kind of um, quantitative analysis or, uh, or make tools based around that to say, okay, here's, you've got your first data set, what else is like this or what else is related to this and be able to do a, a more detailed search than, than just a text search to try to find other things that you know that you can work with in the same context. And the other aim is once, we've, once you can measure that, then you can try to make it better. So if we want to, part of the, the aim of harmonization, which is you know, kind of a theme that's been going on in the statistical world for forever, um, is, is just that. It's kind of getting people to use the same standard set of codes if they're talking about the same thing. And of course, if they're talking about different things, then they shouldn't use the same set of codes because you've got to be clear about what it is that you're talking about. So that trying to enable that harmonization process will, um, if you like, strengthen the families and make them bigger. 
Hi. Um, thank you for the, your talk. It's been very interesting. Isabella from uh, Cingolani from Imperial College. Um, I came across uh, your organization and the, um, uh, through the Open NHS uh, uh, website. Uh, because I'm working currently on a project that has to do has to do with uh, uh, open um, NHS data, and um, and I found the platform very useful and uh, interesting initiative, uh, but I couldn't find information I needed in that case. It was financial information, so I had to come back to the actual the websites. I had to go through all the websites from different NHS trusts in order to get the information I needed, and I found compelling to see how far away are NHS trusts from an actual standardization on the way they deliver information. Um, so my question is, how you think, given your experience, and how you think how far away are from actually being able to extract the value of open data for, in order to understand better an, impo an important aspect of uh, the society, the uh, healthcare uh, uh, and NHS uh, behavior and statistics. It's, I don't know if I've been clear. Thanks. Yeah, the level at which we can currently do it is patchy, I would say. So there are some islands of, of easily available good quality data and there's a whole lot of stuff that's quite hard to find. And I think health data and the NHS is probably one of the most complicated and most challenging. And so the, the work that we've done with, with NHS is um, it's quite small scale and early stage, so it's kind of nibbling at the edge of it. And what I'm hoping is that they'll think that it's a, a good principle that could be applied in, in other things. But that data was just, it was looking at some of the, it was to do with the, the MyNHS system and some of the, uh, the metrics of organisational performance that they have there. So you can try and see if a, a hospital is meeting its targets in various ways or um, is it... Um, is it rated by its patients as being, being good and, and so on? And so they've got a whole bunch of metrics and they're adding a whole bunch more, but it doesn't have any significant financial information in it, for example. And because the NHS is so big and because it's evolved over a long period, it's, there are so many different sources of data that it's a real challenge. And I think they are taking steps in, in the right direction, but we had many conversations in that project about, so what do we actually mean by hospital? You know, so <laughs> because the sets of identifiers that they've got are, are often around the, based around the, the commissioning process and where the, the funds are managed from. And so sometimes a you know, hospital might have lots of different identifiers because different services within it are operated by different trusts. And so that makes this kind of question of, you know, what's a hospital? Well, it's that big brick building where you go where you're sick. It's, you know, that isn't actually how it matches up in the data. So, so even these quite fundamental things can be, be a challenge there. So, yeah, I don't have any miracle cures for that. I think try to show people that there are some benefits from, from doing it well and that it's not that hard to do it well and to make things that can be picked up and reused by other people so there's, we can get a bit of a snowball effect that each extra person that does something, it's a bit easier and a bit cheaper for them than it was for the person before. So we'll see. But, yeah, you started at the difficult end. Thank you very much. 
Hi, I'm Alexa, and I, um, I work for a sight loss charity. Um, and um, being able to have harmonised data and be able to work with data in this way is, is, is really valuable. But I'm just wondering, how do you make this kind of information and all the work that you're doing more accessible to people who perhaps aren't as geeky as I am, <laughs> but who could really benefit from this? Yeah, the... <clears throat> I think the, what we're doing at the moment is we're trying to get the, the foundations sorted. But once we finish that, all you've got is good foundations. So people still need to build things on top of it. So we're doing a bit of experimenting with that during the project as a, to try to illustrate to people, if you do all this hard work to make your data really nice, then it's easy to do the shiny thing. But we're not in a position where we can do all of the of the work of presenting it, presenting subsets of data to particular audiences to answer particular questions. But what I think we would aim to do is to make that possible for a wide range of other people. So there's this kind of concept of a, a data intermediary, if you like, or, or storytellers is actually probably a, be a better word, of people who have some technical skills, not necessarily kind of super advanced, but can use you know, common data analysis and visualization tools understand a domain, can find stuff reasonably quickly, put it all together, and they act as the person who can make a case or gather together information. But in that sort of ecosystem kind of view that we were talking about, it's really important that those people exist and are enabled and supported. And I think one of the challenges of the open data movement, if you like, as a, as a whole, has been that it's quite immature and a lot of the time one person has to do the whole thing from gathering the data to processing it to visualizing it to making a case and we're not yet at the case at the stage where we've got a, a kind of supply chain or a, a, you know a, we don't have people specializing on just one area and handing it on to the next person who can do the next thing so it's like you've got to build your own car from scratch in your own metal shop rather than just going and buying it and then driving it um, so, yes, I think it, thinking in ecosystem terms and making sure that the data is easy to, is clearly explained to the, the storytellers is probably the way to make that happen. Uh, hello, my name is Simon Briscoe. I'm a, I work with a data science company and do other bits of consulting. I, I was just wondering what your views were on the bigger sweep of these things because you know, I think there was a period between five and ten years ago when there were some very uh, tangible signs of progress in, in open data in government. But I, I do think the last three to five years has either been plateaued, to be kind, or it's gone backwards. You know, I don't see any desire, active desire, in government departments to present open data. And I, I just wondered if you felt sympathetic to that argument or not. Yeah, so obviously I'm just speaking as a outside observer like you. I've got no um, responsibility or, or special knowledge. But the I kind of agree with that to some extent. I mean, I, certainly there was that period where the agenda was quite driven by transparency concerns. And my feeling is that that's less of a, a thing now. But perhaps um, operational concerns, if you like, kind of people... there's. In the last few years, there's been quite a, a growing awareness of the, 
the value of data in general. Everyone's talking about big data. Data science has become a, a cool thing to do when five years ago nobody really knew what it was. So that argument, I think, is, is having an effect in government and they're starting to employ lots of data scientists and um, trying to train up people um, to, you know, to just be more kind of data literate. So I think that side of it, I can see things happening. Um, I think you know, there is still there's whether it's not perhaps driven by a, a sort of overtly transparency policy. Then I think there's still quite a lot of of use of data going on and realizing that actually it's generally easier to make it open than not if it's if there are no reasons not to. If you see what I mean. So obviously there's a whole bunch of, of personal data or, or other things that that can't be open, um, but. Generally, I think people realise that if if there's no reason for it not to be open, it's actually easier. And I think that I get the impression that the argument has more or less been won in patches, at least, that making um, public data open is valuable for the economy, more valuable than the cost of that was the cost of producing it or the the income that you were getting from selling it before. So uh, it might have been a long and slow process to get there, but the um, Geospatial Commission seems to be just warming up, but starting to become effective in, say, making more ordinary survey data openly available. And there were good reasons why that wasn't open before, partly because of the way that ordinary surveys funded. And so, you know, if you're going to change what they're being required to do, then they probably need changes in funding as well. So, you know, there's never a simple answer, but I think, I think it's going slowly in the right direction is my my general impression, I think. Hello, uh, my name is Fati, and I'm from uh, SOAS University of London, and I have proposed my thesis uh, in the direction of open government data and good governance in India. So my question is uh, regarding the policy environment, which might lead to the opening of data in, uh, uh, and as it differs in a developed nation, and um, sort of undeveloped nation. Because in India, we have something called as the Right to Information Act, which is a right and it's constitutionally guaranteed to every person, wherein we can uh, demand for a data that is not open yet, but is supposed to be publicly accessible. Now, I wanted to know how open government data can sort of uh, further enhance the, the, the current right or sort of diminish it uh, in, in a sense, because open government data in India as it exists to this day is just certain ministries releasing certain data on perhaps mining or the number of toilets constructed, and that is about all. And they feel it as if it's they're opening data, but they're not essentially, and sort of bringing down the actual right to Information Act, which was more um, uh, in a way, was more uh, you know um, useful to people. So I wanted to ask: Can you employ the same uh, open data initiatives as you do in developed nations in those that are developing as of now? I don't know. Is the <laughs> is the honest answer? Um, so my only experience of of this is, I suppose, observing and being a little bit involved in the the UK's history of of going through this. And a lot of that probably started about, some other people here might know better than me, but I don't know, maybe sort of 10, 12 years ago, the, um, through journalism in the media, that I think The Guardian was very active in, uh, The Guardian newspaper, in trying to force some information that they felt reasonably 
to have been public, to be to be made available. It was you know it's it's our data as citizens. So why is the government not letting us have it? Um, and then I think around um, Gordon Brown, when he was prime minister, um, started off a, a kind of open data process that was then taken up quite enthusiastically by the subsequent um, coalition government, where one minister who was in charge of it, a guy called Francis Maud, was very effective in making it happen. Um, so I think there was a combination of, uh, I suppose, a kind of principle that the public is paid for this data, so they should be able to have it if there's no good reason not to. A bit of a, an appreciation that there could be benefits in, in having it, and uh, Tim Berners-Lee was quite effective around that time of you know, just telling people to, to give up their raw data so that people could use it. And then somebody in an influential position in government who was prepared to make it happen. So you, had, you need a kind of you know, a carrot and stick, and you probably need leadership, and you need people on the ground who actually want it. So how you make that happen, I, I don't know. <laughs> but um, that was my view of, of how it came to happen in the UK, perhaps starting earlier than some, in some other countries, although lots of other countries are doing very similar things in different ways. Perfect. Well, thank you for all those, and thank you so much, Bill, um, for that brilliant presentation. Um, yeah, thanks very much. Thank you. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.